Well, that was a great song. I'd like somebody to get me the words to that song. I don't know who's in charge of that, but I'd like to get a copy of that. And uh, I enjoy good Christian music and choruses, but uh, every once in a while you hear a new one like that that's just right from the Word, and that's a blessing. How many of you picked up on that this morning? And uh, I want to encourage you young preachers. That's the kind of music that'll build a Bible-believing church, and uh, thank the Lord for it. And it's good to see you this morning. And thank you for the beautiful music this semester. Uh, Brother Johnson, you've done a great job this semester with our music and just working with our students and those of you that were involved in the drama. And we believe in the primacy of preaching, but we understand that God can use various uh, forms of communication to exalt His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to commend you for the great semester that you've had thus far and looking forward to what God has uh, in these next few days as well. I also want to welcome Brother Hal. Brother Hal, where are you? You have lost some weight, haven't you? Sure. Thank you. <laughs> Maybe you've just got a new haircut. <laughs> is, that, is that what it was? You look different when I walked out last night. I said, boy, he's changed. But I want to put my plug in as well. There's a lot of different ministries that come by, and, and they want to uh, have our students to work for them, and, and, uh, and that's understandable. Uh, but uh, there are some that really just have the heartbeat like we do for souls and church planning, and this is one of them. And uh, I want you to stop by and see Brother Howe. Uh, I love the West. Now, don't get me wrong. Those of you that are from the East, I love the East too. But until you have driven from Moab to Salt Lake or from Salt Lake to maybe up to uh, Sheridan, Wyoming, or from Sheridan, Wyoming up to Great Falls, Montana, or from Great Falls, Montana over to Spokane, you just haven't seen really the vast greatness of America. And the West is, is absolutely beautiful to behold. And then along those routes, you find these towns and towns that at one time were evangelized, but now there's a need for a reseeding, if you will. And uh, this brother has a lot of those towns dialed in, and he'll help you get into some of those places this summer and, uh, and learn, and uh, they'll help you financially, they'll help you uh, spiritually, they'll help you grow uh, in preparation for the ministry. So I hope you'll see him. I'm excited to hear that we have a growing number that are planning to attend Spiritual Leadership Conference Asia. And I recognize in Bible college that between time and jobs and finances, not everybody can do all of these things. But I do want to say for those who can, for those who uh, find a way during the holidays, the Lord blesses you a little bit extra. Uh, be sure to let uh, Brother Smithy or Brother England know about this and uh, let us get you involved. We're going to be purchasing tickets fairly soon. And uh, we're excited to have uh, hundreds and hundreds of Bible college students at the conference from Asian conferences. But our church and college is helping to host the conference. And uh, you'll have opportunity to serve and minister. But more than that, you'll have opportunity to meet people from more than 40 different nations and opportunity to sit in on workshops and roundtables that will be very educational educational for you, just understanding what's going on in the world of missions. And so uh, pray for this. If you're interested, let one of these men know, and I know that you'll be glad uh, to have a part. I want to just uh, give you a reminder as we come into this Thanksgiving week here in a day or two. And uh, here's what I want to remind you about. Of course, giving thanks to the Lord is number one, but I want to remind you to communicate your thanks to others, and this is what leaders do. Leaders are grateful and they're communicating their gratefulness all the time. And I want you to be a communicator of your gratefulness. And so let me have you jot a few things down. You're super busy, I get that. Jot this down somewhere where you're going to pull it back out and see it and not forget. 
Uh, I know right now you're focused on finals and paying bills and work and all these things, but I want to encourage every student here to communicate on a few different levels over the next week. And I want you to communicate in writing to a few different groups of people. And I find that uh, email is okay. Uh, as, as loving as you try to be on email, uh, it, does, it always still comes across somewhat impersonal. So if you really want to encourage someone, it's either best face-to-face -face or with a handwritten note. Uh, and, and also, if you're trying to deal with a problem on email, email can come across more uh, critical than you meant it to come across. It's kind of cold in that way. So uh, I like handwritten notes. And so what I'm talking to you about right now is in the, in the way of handwritten notes that I would encourage you uh, to write over the next uh, week. And so number one, I want to encourage you to write a note to anyone that you have witnessed to since August that either has come to church once or hasn't come someone on your prospect list. Now, every soul-winning Christian has a prospect list. If your list is just a, on a piece of paper here or there, over the course of your break, I want to encourage you to update that. Put it in your planner. Put it somewhere where you can find who are the people that you've been witnessing to, someone from work. Uh, maybe before you head out for a few days of holiday, and many of you will perhaps be here for the holiday and different schedules, of course, but for those of you that are traveling a bit, before you leave your place of employment uh, for a few days break, give a note of thanks to your boss and uh, put a gospel track in with it or put a verse at the bottom. Now, I remember when I was in my first year of Bible college and Thanksgiving had come around, I had just begun dating Mrs. Chapel. Just really, our first date was uh, October 25th, uh, 1982. And uh, uh, no, 19, no, 1980, October 25th. No, maybe it was 1979. We got married in 80. Anyways, it was back a ways back there. I know October 25th is correct. And, uh, but, but I remember shortly after that, going into work where I worked at uh, Caterpillar Tractor, I worked the swing shift. And, uh, uh, and, and that's why when I got into the ministry, working hard was not foreign to me. I already was going to school from 7 to 12 and then working from 3 to midnight. And, and that's what life was. And I didn't, I didn't have time uh, for a lot else besides school and work. And I went into work one day and they gave me a card uh, when I walked in and they gave me a little French hen. And uh, I really don't know what a French hen is, to be honest with you. It was smaller than a regular chicken. I remember that. It was frozen. And I, I remember thinking to myself, man, this is awesome. And uh, I got meat to eat here. And it was just kind of a, uh, wasn't married as a single guy in the dorm. I'm not sure what I did with that French hen now that I think about it. But I just remember being grateful for it. And uh, it was a note uh, that was given to me from, uh, from Bill Shepard, who is the owner of Shepard Machinery. Now, I'll be honest with you. He probably gave that to all 800 employees, right? But it was signed and I got it. And I remember going back late that night to my dorm and sitting down and writing a letter. Now, letter writing is an art. I remember watching my father write prayer letters from Korea back to the supporting churches. And he would teach me, don't have too long of paragraphs. Be sure to have an opening sentence that gets someone's attention and have some information about what's going on, but always have a word of gratitude 
And, and he'd write that every month. And then he always said this. He always said, you need to write a personal note at the bottom of the letter. And he said to me, he said, son, some of our supporting pastors, if it's just a mimeographed uh, signature, they don't even read it. He said, I always put something personal. I'm telling you that because some of you, if you're a missionary or a pastor, you want to know how, how sometimes busy people, they don't take time for a form letter. So uh, I remember everything he taught me about writing a letter, and I took out a card, and I wrote Mr. Shepherd a letter, and very personal, and signed it. And, uh, and then when I got to work the next day, uh, I asked someone to put it in his box. Now, this is a man that owned a multi-million dollar company. He had his own airplane, his own airport on the back of our lot there. And uh, the next day after I delivered that thank you letter to the front desk, that man came and found me. He found me in the warehouse and he said, are you Paul Chapel?" I said, yes, sir. He said, I'm Bill Shepard. You can go buy Shepherd Machinery today, 605 in Rose Hills, City of Industry. He said, I wanted to find you, young man. He said, I gave over 800 gifts, which always seems insignificant. It always seems insignificant to the individual, but to him, that was a large amount. He said, I gave over 800 of these to the employees a few days ago, and you were the only one who wrote me a thank you note. And he said, I wanted to find you and commend you for what you did. Now, it's interesting. And, and as, a, as a pastor, as a leader, as someone who works with staff and so forth, I try to do as best I can to give. And I can concur with Mr. Shepherd that if, some, if I give 300 of something to staff, it might be 10 or 20 in a Christian organization that remember sometimes say thank you. And, uh, and what I want you to know is the ones that remember are always of significant leadership value. They are always people that are getting something great done with their life. And I want you to be that type of people. So I want you, first of all, to write a letter to the one that you are witnessing to. Secondly, I want you to write a letter to the one that you are working for, all right? The one you are witnessing to and the one that you are working for, all right? Always be grateful, whether it's Blue Crew, whether it's working down at uh, some warehouse somewhere, be grateful that you have that opportunity. So the one you're witnessing to, the one you're working for. Okay, thirdly, the one who's watching for you, the one who's watching for you, in this case, your pastor. Take time to write your pastor a thank you note during this season. Now, let me tell you something. Any idiot can criticize and complain. And I want you to know they never build a monument to a critic. You'll never find that. Uh, and, and you'll find sometimes in college that even students in college will complain and so forth, and they know how to do this and that better and so forth. Uh, but no one gets an award for being the greatest critic. It takes someone with character to give thanks. And I want to challenge you this season uh, whether it's right now and put it in the mail, or whether it's if you're going to go home for a weekend or so at, at, at the break, write your pastor a thank you note. Now, let me be honest with you. If you go home and you have the same pastor there than, than when you left, you're blessed. Uh, just yesterday, two churches again called, Brother Chapel, we need a pastor. I wish I had uh, 50 men who were seniors, who were married, 
who were serious for God and graduating that I could recommend. We could get you in churches just like that. So oftentimes, men dilly-dally around. They don't date. They don't marry. They don't get a job. They don't pay their bill. They don't write a thank you note. They're just having fun, and they're missing great opportunities. This is a Bible college training you for ministry. We want to help you get out and do something great for the Lord. And I want you to be thankful. By the way, some of you look up here, some of you boys that are in the back. Look at, look at the preacher in the eyes sometimes. I, I want to think you're taking meticulous notes of what I'm saying. But when you never one time look up, it makes me think you're preoccupied. So give me your attention when I'm, because I'm trying to help you become a man right now. I'm trying to help you right now learn how to man up, stop complaining, stop thinking of yourself, stop thinking of, of, of things, and think about how you can express godly maturity, all right? Be thankful to the one you're witnessing to, right, them. Be thankful to the one you're working for. Be thankful to the one that's watching out for you. And then let me give you, fourthly, be thankful to the parents who care for you. Now, it doesn't matter how old you'll get, you'll always be somebody's kid. <laughs> you're always going to be someone's child, and, and they're always going to be thinking of you and loving you and praying for you. And some of you don't have maybe Christian parents, and you come from different backgrounds. I get all that. But chances are you have a parent, at least one, that thinks you're okay. And more than likely, you have a parent that's actually helped you in the last six months. Maybe they've called you or sent you a care package or given you a few bucks. Uh, most parents do the best they can. And, uh, and I want to encourage you to write your parents a thank you note, not just to say it, not just to forget what I'm saying, but write them a thank you note. It will mean the world to them. Um, I'm, I'm telling you, those notes will not be thrown away. Some of your mothers, if some of you guys would stop thinking about yourself, stop going through all your comparisons of all your little fundamentalism this and all your little studies that and all your little whatever you're into, your, your cars, your games, whatever you're into, if you'd stop that for a minute and write your mother you would never know what that would mean to her. And I'm not saying this just to be emotional. Most of you young men, your mother would weep if you just wrote her a note. Then she'd take that little note and she'll put it maybe in her Bible or maybe some other place. And when next semester starts, she'll pull it out again and she'll read it again and again and again. So I want to encourage you to be thankful. There's something special about people that are thankful. Listen, I, I have letters in my office from presidents of the United States, from governors, from mayors, from pastors of various mega churches, from great missionaries like Rick Martin. People that are greatly used are greatly thankful and they never stop expressing gratitude. And so I hope you'll take that little talk and that you'll remember that to give thanks to the Lord and to those that you are associating with in your journey of life. Take your Bible, if you would, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number two. Let's stand together for our scripture reading time. Philippians chapter two. I'd like to speak to you this morning about the pastor's heart in ministry. And uh, I pray that some things I say to you will help you cultivate that and maybe understand what that is as well. And we're going to learn about this from Philippians 2 and verse number 16, and I want you to follow with me as I read. Holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not 
run in vain, neither labored in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye know the proof of him, that as a son with the Father he hath served with me in the gospel. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the Paul and Timothy relationship. We thank you for the heart that the Apostle Paul is sharing in this passage. And I pray that we would catch hold of it, Lord, today, that we would reflect it as we serve you. And we'll thank you for this time in your house and in this chapel service in particular, as we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Charles Spurgeon is perhaps the most quoted pastor of all time. He pastored in London, England, the Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle. And Charles Spurgeon died at the age of 57 in Mentone, France, after giving his life to the cause of Jesus Christ. He was a preacher's preacher. He was a pastor to pastors. He had a pastor's college. I've been to the Spurgeon College. I've been to the museum there. And his entire life was given over to preaching the gospel and helping others to do the same. Spurgeon said, the true shepherd spirit is an amalgam of many precious graces. He is hot with zeal, but he is not fiery with passion. He is gentle, and yet he rules his class. He is loving, but he does not wink at sin. He has power over the lambs, but he is not domineering or sharp. He has cheerfulness, but not levity, freedom, but not license, solemnity, but not gloom. There is indeed a grace that is needed in the calling to preach and particularly to pastor. Paul, when speaking of the ministry, said in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1, Therefore, as we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, we faint not. And we want to challenge you today, as God has been calling you and bringing you along for the ministry's sake, that you would not faint. The Scriptures say, we faint not. Let's say that together. We If you're not going to quit the ministry, that means you're going to finish this semester. That means you're going to finish next semester. That means you're going to finish your projects. That means you're going to finish uh, things that need to be done over the holidays and ultimately get into the pastorate, into the uh, full-time work, wherever it might be, and not ever quit. And this is the heart of the pastor, to put his hand to the plow and never look back. I want you to notice three truths briefly today about the ministry of serving Christ. First, I want you to see the call of ministry. The call of ministry. I'm not going to speak specifically about that moment when God might separate you for a specific ministry, although I believe that is a real moment in people's lives. I believe foundationally that moment happened the day you got saved. 
The day you got saved, God set you apart for a brand new life of ministry. And sometimes he'll take people like us and set us apart further for gospel ministry in full-time vocational sense. But I believe everyone is called into the ministry. In fact, if you read in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1 where Paul said, therefore, as we have received this ministry, as we have received mercy, uh, he is specifically referring to the day of his salvation in chapter 3 and verse 18. He tells how he got saved, and then he says, well, now that I'm in the ministry, and I believe the apostle Paul understood that when he was saved on the road to Damascus, he was called to the ministry, separated by God at that same time. What I'm saying to you this morning is that we don't need to be at to get overly mystical about specifically when was I called into the ministry. If you're saved, God has a ministry for every one of you. Now, what is the call to ministry with respect to the description of of what it involves? Let's look at verse 16. Holding forth the word of life. Would you say that with me, please? Holding forth the word of life. Now let's say it like we want to pastor more than nine people. Ready? Begin. Holding forth the word of life. Now, the ministry is all about heralding the word of God. It is about preaching and teaching the Word of God. That's why I like the special song we heard just a moment ago. It was a song about the Word of God. And here in verse 16, Paul is describing his ministry by saying, holding forth the Word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ. And here we see the epicenter of all ministry. It always is around the teaching, the preaching of the Word of God. Uh, the, the Bible tells us in Acts 20 and 24, the pastor said, we will give ourselves to the work of the ministry, which of course is the ministry of the Word of God. 2 Timothy 4.1, I charge thee therefore before God and the, and, and, and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing uh, and his kingdom. Preach the Word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but will, after their own lust, heap unto themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall turn unto fables. We're seeing that day today. There are many men that have uh, podcasts and many men that have their internet outreach and so forth, and many that have their radio and television broadcasts, and many of them are simply tickling the ears of their listeners. Uh, they're oftentimes ridiculing the old-fashioned preaching that would come from a pulpit like this. And many times these podcasters share their philosophy and their thoughts and their criticism and their sarcasm. And many times they spoil the spirit of young men in the ministry and try to get them looking down on the old-fashioned preaching of the Word of God. Meanwhile, your pastor and others still stand up and proclaim the truth of the Word of God. Let me tell you where the action is. Let me tell you what God blesses. Not the cynic on the podcast, but the preacher living for Christ and preaching in the pulpit and admonishing the people in the pew. You see, that's the call of ministry is to preach the Word of God. Anybody can make their assessment of the preacher. Anybody can question the authority of the Word of God and make jokes about the Word of God. Anybody can make fun of the pulpit ministry, but God has ordained it. And God says the time will come when people will not want sound doctrine. They'll 
have itching ears. They'll want somebody that just pleases them with what they say. And oh, that we would understand today the necessity of the call to herald the Word of God. I believe it was Martin Lloyd-Jones who said, a man who feels he is competent and that he can do this easily, speaking of preaching, and so rushes to preach without any sense of fear or trembling or any hesitation whatsoever is a man who is proclaiming that he has never been called to be a preacher. Let me tell you something. Preaching is a mighty privilege. Preaching is a sacred calling. Preaching is not something to be taken lightly. I think of the surgeons at the hospital. I remember watching some of our family members have surgery over the years. And I remember even going on to the internet to see where those surgeons had studied. I saw pictures of them on Facebook, just like people that will hire some of you are going to look at your social media. They're going to want to know, is this a sober man of God or is this a little cynical boy? They want to know who's coming on their church staff. They want to know who's going to preach in their pulpit. I wanted to know who was going to cut my child. Everybody understand what I'm saying? I wanted to know about that doctor. I wanted to know where he went to school. I wanted to know what his habits and hobbies were. I wanted to know his record. I wanted to know what others said about him before he cut my child. And I'm going to tell you something. Cutting straight, rightly dividing the Word of God is a great and a mighty privilege and a great calling. There ought to be a sense of, of a holy, uh, sacred fear for the Lord and, and the privilege of being involved in the ministry and teaching the Word of God. G. Campbell Morgan said, nothing is more needed among preachers today than that we should have the courage to shake ourselves free from the thousand and one trivialities in which we are asked to waste our time and strength and resolutely return to the apostolic ideal which made necessary the office of the pastorate. We must resolve that we will continue steadfastly in prayer and in the ministry of the Word. Listen, why do we stand up and say, don't get caught up on the internet and this podcaster and that sarcastic one and this hobby and those games that people play and those little electric games that sometimes guys will play hours on in. Why do we say that? Because I'm going to tell you something. If you're a God called man, you need to center your life around nothing other than the word of God. Be a man of the book. Be a man that's holding forth the word of life. Oh, let someone else know all about how to win a game and how to play a computer game. And let someone else know all about uh, the latest critic on the internet. You know all about God. You know all about doctrine. You know all about the teaching of the Word of God. The calling of the ministry is to herald the Word of God, to rightly divide the Word of truth. But it is also a calling to surrender, to surrender for the work of God, to herald the Word of God but you must be fully surrendered to the work of God. The pastorate is not only study and preaching. The pastorate involves, as an under-shepherd, giving your life for the flock. I want you to see what Paul says in verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. Now, if you take notes or if you underline in your Bible, I want you to take note of the word offered. If I be offered upon. Here we see the Apostle Paul using a language, a picture language, that reminds us of the drink offering of the Old Testament 
whereby he is saying to us that he is willing to be poured out like an offering in order that the gospel ministry go forward. Both the Jews and Gentiles would have understand the imagery of the drink offering or uh, a libation or a ritual that was familiar to many ancient people. After the placing of the sacrificial animal on the altar, the priest would uh, take the water or the honey or sometimes the, uh, the grape juice and they would pour it either on the sacrifice or on the ground in front of the altar. And this act would symbolize the rising of the sacrifice into the nostrils of deity. It was a picture of the, of the effervescent uh, smell of the sacrifice rising to God. And Paul's drink offering was made on behalf of his beloved brethren at Philippi. He wasn't one of these preachers that just had a job. He wasn't watching the clock. He wasn't counting his vacation days. He wasn't looking to see when he could have uh, uh, this break or that perk. No. Paul described the ministry as one that was involved with preaching the word and one that was involved with pouring out his life like a sacrificial offering. And oh, listen today, we do not need men that need to be babysat in the ministry. Men that always are needing this favor and that favor. I'm not saying you don't need a day off. I'm not saying you don't need a break. I want to be a blessing to you. But if a man desires the office of a bishop, he must understand it is a good work. We're not raising up preachers today to be some kind of sissy britches preachers going out and, and just kind of doing a little sermonette here and there and, and playing a little sport here and there and doing a little gossip on the internet here and there. Listen, we're looking for men who don't understand a 40-hour week. We're looking for men who are willing to put their hand to the plow and never look back. It is a work, and Paul describes it as the pouring out of one's life. In the ministry, you may plan your week, as I do every Saturday afternoon. I plan my study time, my prayer time, which I enjoyed this morning. I plan time with staff, which I enjoyed yesterday and I'll enjoy today. I plan time with family. But you know, there are many things that I don't plan that come up. How do you plan when a Sunday school child says, my stepfather touched me? in a way that was inappropriate? How do you plan when you have to work with the local law enforcement as a mandatory reporter to call and turn that one in? How do you plan when the neighbors call and say they want to build a marijuana plant not far from here? We better do something about it. I didn't plan to put 17 hours in that last week. How do you plan when you have multiple members in multiple hospitals in multiple cities? How do you plan that? I'm not saying that I can be in all of those places and I'm thankful for our pastoral staff, but I'm telling you that as a pastor, even when I'm not in all of those places at one time, my heart is. And I'm telling you that I'm in as many of those places as I can be because my job is not to tell people, stand in line. I don't have time to go on the internet and see what preachers say what about somebody else. And, and God, God forbid that you ever have time for that. Listen, I'm not going to live at the bottom of the aquarium eating what fish eat at the bottom of the aquarium. I want to live at the top with Jesus Christ. I don't have time for those small things. Sometimes preachers call, did you hear about this? Did you hear about that? No, but I heard from him this morning. 
No, but I've got a fresh message for Sunday. You see, if you're pouring your life out as a sacrifice, you don't have time for the games people play. Paul describes the ministry as the pouring out of his life. What an amazing picture. David Livingston, the great missionary to Africa, wrote, If a commission by an earthly king is considered an honor, how can a commission by a heavenly king be considered a sacrifice? There's no doubt that David Livingston poured his life out. I mean, yeah, all of us, we heard the testimonies from missionaries last week, and, and we heard of the, uh, the tragedy with Brother Trell, and we, we understand others are pouring their lives out, but we want to get a pass. We want to serve in a church of 300 in Alabama that's got money and can take care of us. I mean, we want to be in the ministry, Jesus, but we don't want to be in the poured out ministry. We want to serve you, Jesus, but not in Africa. I'll serve you, Jesus, but you know, my wife has these needs, and my kids have these needs, and I have these needs, and, and well, Jesus, I mean, as long as all that's taken care of, by the way, he'll take care of all of that, but where are the men who are willing to say, I'm going to seek first the kingdom of God and all the other stuff God will bring along? I'm not preaching that you neglect your family and ministry. That's not what I'm saying at all. I'm just saying, don't you use your family as an excuse for not serving the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be willing to be poured out in ministry. Every man or woman that I've ever known to be used greatly of God, the people that we respect so highly are the people whose lives have been poured out. Not just a little tinkle here and a little tinkle there, just Lord, here's my whole life. Take it and use it. Turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 12, 15. 2 Corinthians 12, 15. Paul says of the ministry here, and I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. So on one occasion, he uses the imagery of of the pouring out of liquid. Now he's using the imagery of currency. He's saying, whatever my life's value is, whatever I have, I'm willing to spend it for you. I'm willing to be spent for you. Notice what it says. Though the more abundantly I love you, the less I be loved. Now guys, listen to me and gals as well. You must remain resilient in the ministry. And you must do all that you do for Jesus. But I, I can't think of how many staff over the years I've been spent for and I've poured. They have no idea what it means to have health insurance. They have no idea what it means to have a staff meeting. Not all churches have them like we do. They have no idea many times young men, especially starting off the ministry. You spend, you invest, you talk, you teach. I think of members of the church I think of people I've spent all nights, night after night in hospitals with. And the more I have loved, yet the less am I loved. I think of hundreds of members 
whose children had trouble with drugs, whose children had trouble in school. Uh, I could name many names. I would never do that, but I'm telling you uh, that in the ministry, I'm warning you, there will be some people, the more you try to help, the more you try to help, they're just going to say, well, I don't even believe in that King James Bible. I don't even believe in tithing. I don't even believe I'm a Baptist. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. I don't even care to be in church anymore. And many of them are no longer in church or in Bible-believing ministry. Say, Brother Chapel, does that hurt? The more you're looking to them, the more it hurts. The more you're looking to Jesus, the less it hurts. But you're only human. And I'm, I'm telling you that even as Paul poured his life out, he also had to write, Demas hath forsaken me. Even as Jesus poured his life out, there was a Judas Iscariot. I'm just trying to tell you the nature of the ministry. If you teach a Sunday school class, which many of our professors do, they will tell you that they'll help people and they'll visit people, but there's not always the response that you would hope to receive. And, and, and yet Paul, instead of getting an attitude like, forget it, I'm, I'm done with this. I'm going to go just full-time tent making. Forget the preaching stuff. Instead of that, he kept preaching and preaching and preaching and being faithful. He was spent for them. Spurgeon said, do not desire to be the principal man in the church. Be lowly, be humble. The best man in the church is the man who is willing to be the doormat for all to wipe their boots on. And the brother who does not mind what happens to him at all, so long as God is glorified. What is the call to ministry? The call to ministry is a call to preach. It is a call to pour out one's life. This is the call to the ministry. Someone says, well, if that's the ministry, then I need to find a Christian college where I can get a degree in something else because I don't want to pour my life out. But I'm telling you, that is the call of ministry, to pour our lives out so that others might know Jesus. Notice, secondly, the concern in ministry. The concern in ministry, verse 19. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timotheus shortly unto you, that I may be of good comfort when I know your state. Now, the concern in ministry is that Paul would know the condition of the church. Even though he was in prison at this time of writing, his burden was for those that were back in Philippi. His burden was not for himself. His burden was for them. He said, I'm going to send Timothy. I want to know how you're doing. Proverbs 27, 23, be thou diligent to know the state of thy flocks and to look well to the herds. Listen, sometimes people across the country say, you know, Dr. Rasmussen wrote me a letter this summer. Dr. Gatch wrote me a letter. Let me tell you why. Because they are God-called men. You can be 3,000 miles away and they still thought of you. What does that tell me? It tells me they are God-called men. They are not hirelings. This isn't a job. This is a calling. And I'm asking you, if you have a calling, who do you care about? Is there a bus kid, a Sunday school kid, someone you're witnessing to, someone at your home church, some teenager back there that's backsliding, somebody that you are trying to help? If you're a God-called man, you care when somebody's not in church. This was Paul's concern. He was concerned for the Philippians. His desire was that he could know their condition. He wanted to know what their burdens were. Notice Philippians 2.20. He says, I have no man like-minded who will naturally care 
for your estate. Paul sends Timothy. Just take a quick moment. I don't have time to develop this. Timothy was such a God-called young man, such a mirror image of the Apostle Paul, such a loyal man, that when Paul had a great job that needed to be done, he chose Timothy. Let me ask you this question. Would your pastor choose you? Would Dr. Getch choose you? Are you the kind of young man or young woman that if we needed somebody to be loved, if we needed somebody to be helped, if we needed somebody to have the assurance of their salvation, if we needed somebody to be comforted at the hospital, if we needed somebody that had a car accident and their car's wrecked and their boyfriend broke up with them and they're thinking of quitting college, are you the type of person that we could say, go help them. They have a great burden. And we know that even though we can't be there at this moment, because we're over here in Michigan, we know that if you go, you'll get the job done because you're a God called servant who will pour your life out for them. You'll help them. So go help them. Are you that kind of a person? Or are you the guy that's late? That's busy doing your own stuff? that doesn't really care. Paul said, I'm going to send Timothy because I know this about Timothy. He's going to get it done the way I would get it done. He is like-minded. He will feed and protect and nurture and help. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20 for a moment, verse 28. Acts 20, 28. The concern of ministry Paul here speaking to the Ephesian elders, he says, take heed therefore unto yourselves, Acts 20, 28, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. You see, we have a great responsibility to the flock to feed, to care, to minister, to preach, to pour out our lives in the meeting of the needs of the flock. You ought to thank God for these college administrators and teachers that are in this room. While they highly respect your home pastor and never desire to take his place, while you're here, those of us on the church staff and the college staff, it's our desire to help you through, to pray with you, to care for you, to tell you if, if you need some help along the way. That's our calling And that's your calling. And we ought to have that spirit about us in these upcoming days. That's the concern in the ministry. Hey, how are they doing over there in Philippi? He was in prison, but he was thinking about Philippi. Notice not only the call and the concern, but I want to say this finally, the companion in ministry. We touched on this in verse 20. Notice, for I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Notice, Timothy, this companion. Some of you are going to be assistant pastors. Some of you are going to be working in a ministry this summer. Some of you will be on faculty and staff in different places. You're going to come alongside an older pastor maybe, and you're going to be his companion. Why was Timothy the companion of Paul? By the way, how many of you would have liked to have been the companion of the Apostle Paul? Until the stoning started, right? Most of us would have been privileged to be there. I look forward to meeting him in heaven. Why Timothy? Notice what it says in verse 20. I have no man like-minded. Fellas, your father, your pastor sent you here so that you could be like-minded. Listen, 
Watch the preaching. Watch the soul winning. Watch the bus ministry. Watch uh, how to construct a message. Learn uh, from those who've been at it for 40 and 50 years. And go out and do likewise. Paul said, I want you to be like-minded. He said, Timothy is equal in this process. He is like-minded in his way of doing things, in his purpose along the way. I believe he's speaking here of Timothy's spiritual character. Timothy had a kindred spirit with the Apostle Paul. There was Epaphroditus. There were other preachers in Rome, no doubt. And Paul loved and appreciated them. The Apostle was in no way belittling them. Listen to me. But apparently there was no one of Timothy's stature. He said, I have no man like-minded. How many of you would agree with me? Timothy had a special place in the Apostle's heart. Timothy got it. Timothy was holding the line. Timothy doctrinally wasn't sliding. Timothy morally wasn't sliding. Timothy was a man of integrity. He was like-minded. Timothy was insightful. He was insightful. Notice this in verse uh, 20. It says, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state. Naturally care for your state. I'm gonna, I have two great guys right here in the front, Brother Burt and Brother England. Both of you, I told you one thing. Remember right at the beginning of chapel, I said, take care of this. And I, I, I nudged you about a little something. Just little, little tiny things. You guys know I was mentoring you, don't you? Those little insignificant things. There's something I asked Brother Burt to look to and to see and to deal with. And I know Brother Burt, because I said, hey, will you take care of that situation? He'll be looking for that situation as long as he's in this environment to carry out pastor's heart. If he sees what I saw again, even though I'm not here, and he deals with what I asked him to deal with, then there comes a cohesion into the ministry. Because an older leader like the Apostle Paul lives with an intentionality when he wrote these things, when he said these things, when he admonished about certain things. It wasn't just to get after or to make a point or to prove something. It was to help bring order for the next generation. Paul said of Timothy, I have no man like-minded. Meaning by that, he naturally is understanding how to deal with someone who's mad, how to deal with someone who's sad, how to turn in his financial report, how to go and take care of the parent that has a need, how to help the one who's struggling with their academics, how to deal with the situation that rose on the bus ministry. It's, it's just like uh, Paul doesn't have to tell him every single time. Now listen, no leader minds telling you once or twice but you want to be the guy that when you hear it and when you're in process with it, you're getting it, you're getting it, you're getting it, so that when the time comes, you're able to lead in that area that God is calling you to lead. I believe that's what Paul was saying about Timothy. I believe Paul was saying, you know, everything I've poured into Timothy, he got it. Everything I tried to tell him, he wanted to get it. He wanted to, he wanted to somehow use it. He, he was like-minded. He was insightful. The Bible says here that he naturally cared for their state, genuinely, faithfully cared. The word care means he was looking out and wanting to help. And I, I see that he was not only like-minded. And fellas, if you go work on a staff somewhere, you're not going there to change the church. You're not going there to change the pastor. You're going there to say, preacher, what's your heart for the youth ministry? What's your heart for the revival? 
Bible meeting. How can I get in sync with you? I want to be like-minded. I want to be insightful. And then notice the third characteristic of Timothy. He was loyal. No one ever expects you to be loyal to someone whose doctrine is false or whose life is not right in the moral sense. But God has called us to a like-minded loyalty with the leaders we serve with. Notice what it says here in verse 21. It says, For all seek their own. Are you seeking your own, or are you seeking the things of Jesus Christ? This isn't hard. Are you seeking your own or the things of Jesus Christ? Paul said, you know what? A lot of these other guys, they want what they can get out of it. I, I have no doubt, I've, I've had guys employed here that wanted to use this ministry for a stepping stone. I didn't come here for a stepping stone to build a church of 500 to go somewhere else to get a bigger church. I came here to do what God called me to do. Guys, let me tell you something. If you have the privilege of preaching in junior church or bus ministry or the main church or wherever you go this Christmas break, when you stand up in the pulpit you ought to say something like this before you say anything else. I want to thank the Lord Jesus Christ for the privilege of being here today, and I want to thank my pastor for the honor of standing in this place. That teaches and that shows that you have a like-minded, loyal spirit about being, look at nobody's so great that you're God's gift to that church that day. Wherever you go, I don't care if it's myself or Dr. Gatch, I say it everywhere I go. I'm thankful to the Lord, and I always thank the pastor for the privilege of being there. Why? Because I know it's a privilege, and I want to have, and I want to express a loyalty to the one that is faithfully serving so that I could be there. But many times today, Paul says here in verse 21, all seek their own. Many times you'll see certain preachers and their attitude seems to be, hey, hey, here I am. I know you've been looking forward to me. Let me tell you some jokes now. This is going to be fun because I'm here and this is the me show. No. Paul said, I don't have to worry about Timothy playing that game. I trust Timothy. Are you a trustworthy man who will get the job done with a loyal, godly spirit? This is why Timothy got the nod. He had that spirit. God used him in a great and in a mighty way. As opposed to Demas, 2 Timothy 4 and 10, for Demas hath forsaken me, having what? Loved this present world. Demas said, I'm out of here. I don't want to do this stuff with Paul. I don't want to make these hospital visits. I don't want to go soul winning. Soul winning doesn't work anymore. I want to do it my way, Demas said. I'm out of here. Timothy said to the apostle, show me how. I want to learn how to construct a message, how to preach, how to make a visit. I want to learn how to deal with those problems at Ephesus. Help me. I, I know that I need the help. I've got a weak stomach. I, I, I need some help along the way. And Paul took that young man and trained him, and God used him in a great way. 
The call to the ministry is the call to proclaim the word, to pour your life out. The concern for the ministry is for the church. It's that the church might be edified. It's that the church might be cared for. The companion in the ministry, listen, I need godly men with me. I can't do it alone. You'll need godly men with you, whether it's a missionary team or whether it's working on a church staff somewhere. It's a beautiful thing when like-minded men have a passion for the glory of God. It's a beautiful thing. I love serving in this church and college. I love serving with the men and women that serve here. It's a great joy and privilege. It's a mark of immaturity when someone doesn't see it that way. It's a mark of immaturity when someone says, well, there's some greener grass somewhere else. I'm going to tell you something. There's no greater joy than serving Jesus in the local New Testament Baptist church. It's the greatest joy of my life, being a pastor, proclaiming the word. And sometimes you get tired. And sometimes that phone rings at the craziest hours. And sometimes people you love and love, they don't love you back. Even college students, by the hundreds, that you'll never hear from again. Though you made great sacrifice to build the very room they sleep in, they never quite get it. You know what we're going to do? We're going to have another semester next year and another one and another one and another one until Jesus comes because we're not doing it just for you. We're doing it for him. And every once in a while, there's a Timothy that rises up. Every once in a while, there's a young man or a young woman that seems to get it. They naturally learn how to care for the estate of others. And they go do it in some other city like the 39 men that are pastoring now in California who graduated from this school like the several hundred that are preaching across the country and around the world. They're rising up. Not everyone says thank you. Not everyone stays faithful. But there's a bunch who have, and many of you will, if you'll remember this, that the day you got saved, God set you apart for a purpose. And I want to challenge you, never turn your back on that call. Be willing to stand and preach the truth. Be willing to be poured out. Be willing to be a Timothy to someone. Be willing to learn and to grow and to stay humble and be that companion in ministry in that dark and lonely hour. You be the one that walks in and says, hey, preacher, I'm still with you. I know it hurt that those people left. I know that hate mail hurt, but I want you to know I'm still here with you. And together, we'll do something great for God. You may not realize the potential you have to be a blessing to your pastor, to be a blessing to some pastor someday, to be a blessing to some flock someday. But God wants to use you as you pour your life out for him in the ministry. Some of you need to change your concept of ministry today. You need to stop thinking of it as just a little time here and a little time there. And you need to truly pour your life into it by the grace of God.